The following is a production of Truth Exchange and is made possible by the generous financial support of our listeners and friends like you. If you'd like more information about Truth Exchange or how you can be a partner, please visit us online at truthexchange.com. The 60s represent rejection in three fundamental areas. Rejection of authority, rejection of um, biblical sexuality and ethics, and the rejection of Christian spirituality. Those three things. Let me develop them for you for a moment. First of all, uh, and, and also as I developed them to try to show you how those ideas have gone basically mainline and flowered, the flower power has flowered in the 90s. The new left radicals of the 60s wanted to bring the system down and I believe history will show that they did. Not by firing guns, but by taking it over. The rejection of landlords, university senates, the police, the federal government has been transformed in the 90s to the very rejection of Western civilization in toto. The radical student of today chants, hey ho, what you know, Western civ has got to go. And it culminates in the elimination of dead white male authors such as Plato, Aristotle, Shakespeare, Wordsworth, Jonathan Edwards, and the whole calling for the dismantling of patriarchy. From the 60s, we have the development of the feminist movement, which has blossomed into the very destruction, the desire to destruct or destroy. I have another verb in my mind, which is the verb deconstruct, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, to destroy. Uh, the very civilization based upon patriarchy, which is, of course, in spite of some of the bad press it gets, a society based upon fatherly authority and the responsibility of males to protect the family unit. This is now being described as the great sin to be eliminated. It's interesting, for instance, how far the elimination of that notion of male responsabilization has gone when the Supreme Court rules the father out of any decision-making responsibility in terms of abortion. Behind this rejection of authority, which uh, quaintly at the beginning was against landlords, is a massive movement called deconstruction. And I guess the rejection of the patriarchal society, which of course in many ways is the biblical worldview. Uh, there were certainly, there are certainly things wrong with patriarchy and patriarchy like all our systems need constant attention, cleansing, and um, questioning. But this is a radical movement that wants to eliminate the structure itself. But behind that uh, movement to eliminate the patriarchal structure, and of course with that goes finally the elimination of the Bible.
which is so totally patriarchal because it is the revelation of the great patriarch, God the Father. To such an extent, by the way, that one leading Christian college in the States now suggests that the Christian students on campus no longer use the word father. But I'll just say that the rejection of patriarchy is just one example of what's called the movement of deconstruction. Some of you have perhaps uh, heard some of these notions and I, I want to just mention them so that they'll be familiar to you. Um, deconstruction has to do with the deconstruction of modernity. So it has that effect of deconstructing modernity and deconstruction is then known as postmodernity. And basically what we have in deconstruction is the critique of modernity. Now modernity is described, rightly so, as the hubris of human beings to believe that man is the norm of everything and that by his reason man can dominate the world, determine truth, and save the planet. And that um, man as the uh, measure of all things is classically identified with the Enlightenment in the 18th century, though some scholars even push that back to the 13th century with uh, the Jewish Rabbi Averroes, but that's a sort of a debate, in-house debate. The point is, from the 18th century on, you have this massive affirmation of human reason as the norm of all things. It's sort of like uh, the basis of humanism and human hubris, pride over against God, the autonomous reason. So in one sense, you could say, this is good. Deconstruction has um, eliminated this human pride in reason. And so it, it levels everything. It gets rid of all authority. There are no um, absolute truths. There are no generalizations that are true. Except, of course, that statement. But anyway, let's pass over that one. Uh, you have to make one intelligent statement if you open your mouth, even if it is to deny that all other statements, all statements are wrong. But um, one has to be aware that there is a critique, a just critique there of human pride. And deconstruction then has given rise to the postmodern world in which we live, where we are suspicious of every claim to truth because we can no longer believe that uh, by reason uh, we can ever come to know truth. What is odd, and this is what I will develop, is that really in modernity and postmodernity, you have one form of paganism eating another form of paganism. Paganism turns on itself and devours its prior expression. 
let me express what I mean by that. In modernity, you have sort of the pagan expression of human pride. But slowly, the basis of that is nibbled away. And finally, postmodernity says, this system won't work. We cannot depend upon the human mind to save our problems. But this turns out to be an even more vicious form of paganism, as I hope to develop this weekend. In the middle, of course, as it always has been, you have Christianity, which gets it from both sides. And uh, the deconstruction of modernity not only, you see, uh, pulls the rug out from human hubris and all the great claims that have been made for human reason, but it also deconstructs the Christian worldview. So there's not just one victim, namely the modern world of human pride, but the Christian worldview that somehow is interrelated to that also is radically deconstructed by deconstructionism. Well, there's much to be said about that, but I just wanted to place the 60s within perhaps an even deeper philosophical debate, an even deeper destruction than destructive generation indicates, that there is a, a movement to deconstruct the entire past civilization, and it is succeeding. Well, that's the first, the rejection of authority. We can describe it, as I say, in terms of the 60s revolution. It gets to a very deep point when we describe the modern, postmodern debate. There is no authority. Western civilization has been dismissed as merely a human expression with no fundamental roots in truth because there is no truth. The second rejection, of course, is the rejection of um, biblical sexual norms and morals. I remember the 60s was uh, that heady period of anything goes sex. It was great for the guys. No longer did they need to be responsible. There was a sort of a social uh, responsibility to kick off all the limitations and to express oneself sexually. It was essentially a heterosexual movement. I remember when I was at Harvard sitting around and the discussion was why should we limit ourselves to uh, one partner? Why limit oneself to one wife? But it was always heterosexual. The uh, spiritual guru that I mentioned, Michael Lerner, on his first wedding cake had written smash monogamy. And indeed he himself uh, put that into practice and has had a whole series of marriages since then. But that sexual revolution was perhaps the most powerful aspect of that revolution in the sense that it touched everybody. I bet that there are people here <laughs> who suffered from that revolution. It has certainly created the highest divorce rate in the world in America. And it has diversified in our time 
to produce a situation of sexual chaos that one would never have believed possible just 30 years ago. Because now it's not simply premarital, postmarital, intramarital heterosexuality, but it's any kind of sexuality. Boundless homosexuality, sadomasochism, bisexuality, pedophilia, and perhaps bestiality surely cannot be far behind because there is no longer any rule that can stop these things from taking place. And finally, let me look with you at the third element of the 60s, which was the rejection of classic Christian spirituality and the search for a new spirituality. Because you have to realize that that 60s revolution was not simply to get rid of authority, it was not simply to um, establish conditions for free expression, but within this deconstruction and behind much of this postmodernity is the search for a new spirituality. The counterculture revolution was a spiritual movement, Woodstock was a spiritual happening, and the drug trip was the search for the Garden of Eden. One classic example of this is the case of Richard Alpert, who was raised in a Jewish family, uh, concerned to make it socially and economically, and of course did so. His father was a very successful businessman, and the son, Richard Alpert, perhaps a little bit against his own desires, was pushed and pushed and finally made it as professor of psychology at Harvard. And so really made it to, you know, the high point of his parents' dreams. But was very quickly disillusioned. He was the colleague of Timothy Leary who at Harvard was already uh, breaking with Freudianism, which was what they were teaching then, arguing rightly so, by the way, that man is not just a sexual machine, uh, motivated and uh, pushed to action through the id, but that there were spiritual elements. Something, of course, that C.J. Jung also promoted with uh, great passion. Turns out, too, by the way, that Jung was a radical pagan. But uh, Alpert and uh, O'Leary began to develop the use of drugs. And through those drugs, LSD in particular, mind consciousness expansion they came to believe that there was a new spirituality to be gained. And Richard Alpert himself describes this experience of the drug trip. Now some of you may have taken drugs and so you don't have to listen to this. I never did and I found his description very useful. Uh, he says, I found psychedelic drugs able to prompt a shift of consciousness and a radically different view of one's identity. And he describes the first trip he took as the blowing away of his mind. 
And as he went through this experience where his mind sort of uh, went fuzzy, he, says, he said, uh, I had the thought that at least I have my body. But then he says at that moment, I looked down at the couch and the sense of his body had disappeared as well. Nothing, he says, in my philosophical materialism prepared me for this. I started to call for Timothy when the thought went through my mind, who's calling? If I'm not my body, and if not, I'm not my social roles, what's left? And then something suddenly connected for me. It was like a figure ground reversal. In other words, a sort of conversion. I became aware of a part of me, an essence, that had nothing to do with life and death. Alpert was having a sort of classical transcendent, transcendental vision. He says this, although everything by, by which I knew myself, even my body and this life was gone, still I was fully aware. Not only that, but this aware I was watching the entire drama, including the panic, with calm compassion. Instantly with this recognition, I felt a new kind of calmness. I had just found a place where I existed independent of social and physical identity. And something else that I knew, it really knew. It was this experience of a total sense of knowing that could not be, should I say it, deconstructed. It was wise rather than just knowledgeable. It was a voice inside that spoke truth. I felt, he said, like I had come home. Well, that was in the 60s. Richard Alpert then went to India, studied Hindu meditation, and became a Hindu guru, took on the name Ram Das, and recently returned to America and gives uh, long five-hour lectures, just like I do. Only he does it in a lotus position. Can you imagine me in a lotus position? Uh, he doesn't quite look like the Indian guru, sort of skinny like this, though. He's, he looks more like a Buddha. <laughs> He's doing very well on the lecture circuit. Um, and he is accompanied by his um, lover, a homosexual. And he said, and I was present at the lecture where he said it, that he had finally, through drugs and then Hindu meditation, discovered his true Judaism and has become a true son of the covenant. Do you see the transformation then that takes place? There's a deconstruction of the old, it's certain. But slowly I'm seeing this reconstruction 
of a whole new spirituality and view of the world that is based upon a fundamentally pagan understanding of things and in particular spirituality. Something radical you see has happened on the level of spirituality. Some of you remember that in the 60s I had to, I was a theological student in the 60s, I was obliged to read what were called the death of God theologians. God was declared dead. What they didn't tell us to read was what I discovered a few years ago, unfortunately, uh, it would have been interesting to read it then, was that one of the death of God theologians, David Miller, said this, it may be that this need to recall an old symbol system, namely polytheism, for new purposes may be behind the recent interest through the 60s uh, of interest in the occult and magic and extraterrestrial life in Hindu India and Buddhist Japan in multi-demon China in sorcery and new forms of multiple family life in communes in the new religions and many other alternative lifestyles and meaning systems which have been hitherto foreign and this death of God theologian at the death of God declared the renaissance the rebirth of the gods and goddesses of Greece well it was in the 60s of course that the Beatles went east and the gurus came west and we have seen in our time a massive change in spirituality in America Americans to the tune of 97% believe in God. The question now, though, is which God? Well, I've sort of tickled your ears with some elements from our most recent past and have attempted to describe a, a, a movement that I believe has gained an incredible power and velocity in the last generation such that uh, we are facing for the first time really I would say in America right on the surface a very powerful and self-confident re-expression of the old paganisms of the past now I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I do not try to get on the internet and identify all the various conspiracies that may indeed be out there. I know there's a vast right-wing conspiracy at work uh, according to important people. I'm sure there's a vast left-wing conspiracy at work too. But what interests me is to try to identify the logical agenda that flows out of a coherent set of religious beliefs. And that logical character will indeed create conspiracies and networks and everything else. We shouldn't be surprised about that. Christians get together because they all believe the same things. 
and then pagans do too. Thank you. This is a Truth Exchange production. Be sure to join us next week as we go over the five points of paganism. And on some happy morning, the dead in Christ shall rise. And I'll go to meet my Lord up yonder in the sky. God made a way. He has made a way on that crystal sea. He's coming back someday. He's going to take me home to stay. I'll live forevermore. All on that golden shore. What a wonderful day. God made a way. God made a way for me. Crystal sea, he's coming back someday. He's gonna take me home to stay. I'll live forevermore. All along that golden shore, oh, what a wonderful, happy day God made away.